You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. For those of you that have been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll remember that we've been talking about the relationship between the Jew and the Gentile and how God has seen fit to fit these two people groups together uh, to create one church, one people of God. And so we've been talking about that part of God's plan and what that looked like. Specifically, last week we were talking about how uh, we are identified now as citizens of God's kingdom. We are members of God's family. We are stones in God's temple. And so we talked uh, individually about what each one of those three uh, pictures is meant to convey to us, that we're to function as citizens of God's kingdom here and now. And so I challenged you last week uh, to, to look at last week as an opportunity to be about um, the duties and responsibilities of a citizen of God's kingdom, not just citizens of this country. Uh, we talked about what it meant to be a family member uh, in God's family and how we are to not just see our church involvement as a Sunday-to-Sunday type of relationship. We wouldn't view our family that way. Instead, we are to be engaging and purposeful in our relationship building with each other as family members throughout the week, throughout the months. And then we also talked about what it looked like to be a stone in God's temple, that we're to encourage each other and hold each other up uh, as stones would in a building, that we function together to create this great temple of God, a, a place that's supposed to be holy and set apart. So we talked about what that looked like practically for us to be holy and set apart in our own lives. And so that brings us to um, chapter 3. I want to read for us our text for today, which is going to come to us from verses 1 through 6. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Um, I used to go to the movies a lot, particularly in college, because we had a dollar theater located right outside of our university, and so it was a cheap thing to do on the weekends, and so used to go to a ton of movies when I was in college. When I think back, there are several movie experiences that I remember a lot. Not necessarily my favorite movies of all time, but just experiences that really resonate with me. I remember in the mid-90s watching the movie Jurassic Park at the theater and kind of walking out and just being in awe that I feel like I just watched real dinosaurs on the screen. I felt that same way when they rebooted it and started it again uh, several years ago. Walked out thinking like, man, I feel like a kid again watching this movie with dinosaurs that looks so real. Uh, I remember in college, John Wallace, who's uh, part of our church, uh, we were roommates at the time. We saw uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, extended version in the theater. I remember we ate more popcorn during that time than really one should ever probably eat in a lifetime. I mean, we just kept, because we'd already seen the original. We hadn't seen the extended version. It was so long. We just kept drinking soda and eating popcorn and just kept going and getting refills constantly. It was a great experience. Um, There's two other movies that kind of are high up on my list of favorite movies. 
because of the experience that they gave me. Um, I'm a, I'm, I've been a big fan of M. Night Shyamalan's movies because they are movies that you watch and you think you're watching something, and then by the end of the movie you realize, I've been watching something different and I didn't realize it, right? Uh, the movie uh, The Sixth Sense. I remember, I remember it specifically because freshman year of college, I had a group of friends that were like, hey, we should go see this. And I was like, guys, it's Wednesday. Like, we have to go to church tonight. Like, it's Wednesday. And they were like, we don't have to. We can go watch this movie. And I remember it was the first time I had made a choice on my own, outside my family, to not go to church. And so I remember distinctly watching this on a Wednesday night when I probably should have been at campus church. But I remember watching that movie and and being kind of confused throughout the movie. And then at the end of the movie, you realize, man, I've been watching something totally different. I didn't realize it. And then it kind of shows you things that you should have seen throughout the movie that were indicators of what you were watching, but you were just so mesmerized by the story, you didn't pick up on what the real story was being told. He does that again in the movie The Village, where you think you're watching one thing, and by the end of the movie, you realize he's been telling a totally different story, and if I had been aware of it, I would have seen some of these things. I think about those two movies specifically when I read this passage, because what you see here in Ephesians chapter 3 is that a mystery is being revealed, but really something that was kind of present there throughout the Old Testament, people just weren't aware of it like they were becoming aware of it now in this part of the New Testament. There was indicators all throughout the Old Testament about what God was doing and what God was planning to do, but people were just kind of going along their business, not really paying attention to some of these passages, some of these prophets, some of these prophecies, And now Paul shows up here in the New Testament and he begins to bring awareness to the fact, hey, here's the movie that we've really been watching. Here's the story that's really been unfolding and you've missed it. You haven't seen this before. It's been there, it's been present, but you just haven't realized it yet. You haven't been aware of it, right? And so what we see in Ephesians chapter three is an awareness, an awareness of something that's really been present for a long period of time, but Paul's now drawing special attention to it. This mystery of Christ, this mystery of the gospel, particularly as it pertains to the Gentile population, that the Gentiles are being included in something, and they're being included in a specific way that previously was either unknown or people were just unaware of what God was really trying to convey. Right? So Genesis or Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, our text today, our summary sentence is this that God used Paul intentionally to further reveal his plan that was made long ago. A plan to unite Jews and Gentiles as the church. A plan we are able to deepen our understanding about simply by reading and studying his word. God used Paul intentionally to further reveal his plan that was made long ago a plan to unite Jews and Gentiles as the church, a plan we are able to deepen our understanding about simply by reading and studying his word. For our kids, God always intended to build his church with Jews and Gentiles and tells us about this plan throughout the Bible. You read verses really two through six, and they feel kind of clunky based on how the passage or the chapter starts, right? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of, your Gent- on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he kind of breaks away from that thought, right? So for this reason, for everything I've just said in chapter two and maybe even chapter one, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, seems like he's about to tell us something that he does in light of these reasons. And yet he breaks from that thought. And what's interesting is that he doesn't pick up this original thought until you get all the way down to verse 14, 
Look what verse 14 says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, and so on. So he intends to tell the people that are reading this book, here's a prayer that I pray for you. But as he gets to the point of introducing this, he pauses and stops and starts to share some other insight into what we've seen in chapter two, this whole idea of the Jew and the Gentile being united together. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And then he begins to unpack this mystery further. But it's really this idea of him reflecting on his position as the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles that diverts his attention, right? He mentions the fact that he's a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles, and that's what starts to divert his attention. He's telling a story, he's telling a point, and then he sidetracks and begins to further expound upon what it means for him to be a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles. And he talks about this mystery, and the idea of mystery here is a Uh, an idea or something that is beyond natural knowledge, but has been opened to us by divine revelation through the Holy Spirit. This mystery is what he's been talking about in chapter two. The mystery is that the Jew and the Gentile come together, that they are united in faith in one community, one people of God, right? That's the mystery. And he's going to further unpack that for us today. What I want to do is to really try to emphasize the fact that While Paul is saying some of the same things that we've already seen in chapter 2, he obviously was distracted enough himself to pause about the prayer that he was about to communicate to reemphasize some of these things, which means this is like a divine intervention because as Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit to write inspired words of God, God pauses his thought to include something that if he had not lost his focus and attention, he would have never included right? So it's, it's really important that we see that while some of these things we've heard already from chapter two, God saw fit to include these for other reasons, for emphasis sake, and we want to be able to uh, really focus in on that today, all right? So in our notes, number one, we want to be captured by the plans of God. We ought to be captured by the plans of God. So as I was starting my study this week on, okay, what is, the, what is this sermon going to look like? What are, we, what are we focusing in on? What are we honing in on? What are we going to teach from this? I'll be honest with you. So here's the reveal from your pastor. There are times when I read passages of scripture, and when I first read it, I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do with this. Like, I don't, I don't know why it's important. I don't know what's really there. I'm not sure where, where we're going to land by the time I teach this on Sunday. There's plenty of times where it's just obvious, like, oh man, this is a rich, deep passage of scripture. As I was reading this though this week, I was like, man, this is clunky. This is hard to like really even process through. What's Paul talking about here? But the more I studied it, the more I read it, the more I honed in on it, I really began to see like truths that are worth our reflection this morning. Obviously worth it because God included it, but certainly worth our our focus and attention because there's some things here that Paul mentions that he hasn't previously talked about. The first one being that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. This is something that we referenced when we first kicked off Ephesians, that Paul is writing from prison all the things that we see in Ephesians. Now we see this in real time because I had fast-forwarded and read this verse to you when we were in chapter 1. He's a prisoner, right? So number one here, Paul saw himself imprisoned 
by the hand of God. Notice that he doesn't say he's a prisoner of Rome or he's a prisoner of Caesar or he's a prisoner of the Jews. Those things would have all been accurate, right? The Jews are the ones who arrested him. The Jews were the ones who pressed for him to be put into prison. The, the, the Roman officials were the ones who were overseeing the trials, right? But Paul doesn't identify himself as a prisoner of any of these human people or groups. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What Paul is confessing here is that without his Lord's consent, he was not subject to the plans, power, punishment, or imprisonment of any man or government. He sees himself as being imprisoned specifically for proclaiming a gospel that gave full inclusion to the Gentiles. Now, if you want to read the narrative, if you want to read the story behind why he's in prison, you go to Acts chapter 21. We won't take the time to do this, but Acts chapter 21 and in several of the chapters following following chapter 21, you're going to see Paul following through with the will of God that he's been called to be a steward of the gospel to the Gentiles, and you're going to see how it enrages the Jews and forces them to uh, take him and seize him and arrest him and put him into prison. Paul was simply being a faithful steward of what God's given to him, and it cost him his freedom and sticks him into prison, much like Joseph in the Old Testament, right? He's a steward of Potiphar's house. He's doing the right thing, the, the responsible thing. He's caring for that facility, caring for the things of Potiphar. Even his wife, he's caring for her, ends up in prison for it, right? Paul is imprisoned for proclaiming a gospel that gave full inclusion to the Gentiles. But here's the thing about Paul, and you see this in all of his books that he writes. He never sees himself as a victim of his circumstances, right? He never turns the attention to his circumstances and feels like a victim, uh, never blames anybody for his circumstances. Instead, he always is constantly seeing opportunity in the midst of what we would perceive to be setbacks, right? Look what 2 Timothy chapter 2 has to say. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I'm in chains, but the gospel has not been chained up. The gospel is still going forth. People are still hearing this gospel, particularly people who would have not heard it otherwise. We see the same idea in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I mean, think about this. Not only are people hearing the gospel and being saved, even those who are already Christians are hearing about Paul's perspective in his imprisonment, and they are becoming much more bold to speak the word without fear. Man, he sees opportunity in the midst of setback, right? He sees himself as being imprisoned intentionally by God for specific purposes. He's not a victim of his circumstances. He embraces the concept that's really been told to all of us as believers, right? That we should prepare ourselves for temporary suffering, that it should be expected. You read Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. We're even told at the very beginning of Paul's ministry, he is told that he will suffer, Right? You read in um, 1 Peter chapter 5, 
a message to all of us as believers, not just someone like Paul, but in 1 Peter chapter, where did I say chapter 5? Chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we are told as Christians that we're going to suffer. We're told as Christians we're going to experience trials. We're also told they're temporary. We're also told that God's going to fix it in the end, right? So Paul embraces this truth, right? Sees his circumstances in light of the fact that he's been told to experience stuff, to, to expect suffering. And so he doesn't see himself as a victim of his circumstances. Instead, he says, hey, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I've been captured by the will of God. No human being can operate outside of the will of God. And so if I'm in prison, it's by God's design. It's by God's grace even that I've been placed here. I find it interesting, too, um, that he is in prison because he is preaching that the Gentiles are part of God's plan fully, that they're not to be separated from the Jews, that they are now part of God's people fully. That's what he's in prison for, and that's the very thing he continues to talk about. It's the very thing he continues to proclaim from prison, right? When guys are in prison and they're up for parole, right? They go before a board a lot of times, and the goal of that board is to determine, has prison worked? Has prison fixed you? Has prison changed your behavior? If we let you out, are you going to be guilty of going and doing the same thing, right? And so the goal of the prisoner is to convince the parole people that, hey, you can let me out, I'm good. Like prison has fixed me, it's changed me, it's altered me. You can expect me to act differently. I mean, Paul doesn't even need to be brought before a parole board, right? The answer is no, prison hasn't worked. No, prison hasn't changed. I'm still doing the things that I got into prison for in prison, right? I'm still guilty of the very same things that got me here. Paul's not trying to change the perception. He's not trying to mask who he is so that he can get out. He continues to do what got him there, and that's to teach this message that the Gentiles are included with the Jews. Paul saw himself imprisoned by the hand of God. Number two, Paul saw himself commissioned by the grace of God. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. He is the one who is revealing this special revelation that has come to him. He is making it known, this mystery of Christ, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, same body, partakers of the same promises in Christ. So here's this process here. Paul receives special revelation from God for a specific purpose. Paul, if you read in other passages in the New Testament, he is identified as the main communicator the main communicator of God's plan to unite Jews and Gentiles. This is who Paul is. This is what he was tasked to do. Acts chapter 26, verse 12. In this connection, I journey, he's talking about his conversion and how he got set on this path. He's explaining himself to Roman officials. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This was Paul's sending uh, orders, right? He is commissioned to go and to share this message that the Gentiles are to be included with the Jews. Special revelation given to Paul for a specific purpose. The plan needs to be communicated, but it also needs to be explained and re-explained for it to be fully embraced. This isn't the type of message that you just share one time and everybody's good with it and okay with it and embraces it. This message doesn't resonate, right? We could talk about like how we're to love each other and even like the lost world would say, hey, that, that makes sense. We should be kind to each other, right? And so that's an easy message to convey, not necessarily an easy message to live out, but an easy message to embrace, that we should treat each other better than we treat each other a lot of times. This idea of Jew and Gentile being one was not an easy message to be embraced. And so Paul has to continue rehashing it, not just in this book, but in other books, because it was hard for the Jewish Christians even to accept. Remember, Peter kind of reverts back to excluding the Gentiles for the sake of uh, being accepted by Jewish officials. This was a hard message for them to receive. But here's the thing. If the Gentiles were not embraced by the early church, they would not become a targeted people with the gospel. Here's why it's so important and why we can be so thankful today that Paul did not stop preaching this message, even if it meant going to prison. Because if that early church did not grasp this concept, the gospel's not coming to our ancestors, right? The church would have heard it like we hear sometimes a Sunday sermon in one ear, out the other, and we would have gone about our merry way. And the Jews would have gone about their merry way and would have never intentionally gone after the Gentiles. And even if they had gone after the Gentiles, right? Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Even if they had, what they were going to continue to do was to make them be Jewish, right? That's great if you want to come be a part of us, but here's what you got to do. Right? You can't get in unless you act like us. And what Jesus was communicating through Paul is that take that list and scrap it because that's not in place anymore. What you even understand about being Jewish isn't going to be in place anymore. The temple that you continue to hold in such high regard is about to go away, right? And so this is all shocking news and something that Paul continues to have to push for this early church to embrace it so that ultimately our ancestors would receive it. Paul's talking about two privileges here in this passage. One, that the mystery was made known to him. Two, that he was commissioned to make that mystery known to others. The implication of him being a prisoner for this is that we can be exactly where we should be in God's will and yet also be in the middle of the worst circumstances. Some of us need to hear that today. Our circumstances aren't always an indicator of whether we're in God's will or not. Because you could have looked at Paul's circumstances and said, man, where is God's kindness and favor and goodness to that guy? You might would even been inclined to think his gospel is false. Right? This message isn't true. Why would God allow him to end up in prison if it's accurate? Right? These are indicators to us as to whether somebody's in God's will or not. Sometimes we look at their circumstances. Paul's an indicator to us and a reminder to us. 
We can be right in the middle of where we're supposed to be with God's will and still be in the same type of middle of bad circumstances, right? It's an encouragement to us that we follow God's will. We're, in, we're a prisoner of his, not a victim of our circumstances. We must view our circumstances as being in submission to God's good, kind purposes. That's what we're destined for, we saw earlier in Ephesians, right? God's kindness is our destiny. God's kindness is our inheritance, and that never deviates, right? Even if we end up in prison, even if we end up being persecuted, even if things are taken from us here on this earth, things that we value and treasure, if God takes those things away from us, we don't need to lose hope that we are in God's will. We are prisoners of his. Be captured by the plans of God as Paul was. Number two, be comforted by a God who plans. Be comforted by a God who plans. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Right? He's been made a steward of this message to take to others. What is that message? Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So he's already told us about this mystery. It's a mystery that came to him by direct revelation from God. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, here's what we need to pause for a second. Paul is saying that I am talking about something that has been revealed most recently to him and to some of these other apostles and prophets that were active in this early church. What's been revealed to them was not previously revealed in the same way to people in the Old Testament. Now, we have to pause and ask ourselves, okay, does that mean that there was no indicator in the Old Testament that God was going to do this with the Gentiles? Is this completely out of the blue? Like, big sidetrack, never even heard of this. Or does he mean something different when he says that this mystery wasn't revealed as it is being revealed now? Which would be an indicator to us that it was revealed, but not fully or not completely as it's being revealed now. And that's really what I believe Paul's getting at here. He says this mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles. I believe that Paul's saying this truth, this mystery about Jew and Gentile was revealed partially in the Old Testament and now it is being revealed fully before your eyes in the New Testament. Okay, so let's look at those two ideas. Number one, the mystery of the Gentiles was partially revealed in the Old Testament. Here's why I think this is important, because if it's not revealed at all in the Old Testament, you might can make the argument that God doesn't always know what he's doing, and he's creating plans as he goes, right? We've all seen movies and even TV shows like this where you're really engulfed in it, and then you start to feel like, man, this story is like, do they even know where they're going with it, right? I felt that way about the new Star Wars movies. I'm not sure they knew where they were going with those movies. It seems so discombobulated when you try to look at the story. You don't look back at those stories and say, aha, see what they were doing there, right? You look back and you say, they didn't know what they were doing there, right? God's not that way, right? He doesn't just start throwing out new plans as he goes. He doesn't start creating things that he hadn't thought about previously. Oh, this would be cool if we did this now, right? This was always part of the plan. And so we see this in the Old Testament. The Gentile plan was not something conceived as an afterthought. Instead, this was part of God's unfolding plan all along. The plan didn't change. 
just the understanding of it. It was partially revealed in the Old Testament, but it's further revealed in the New Testament. Okay, so let's talk about what does that mean? How was it partially revealed? Well, it's revealed in the Old Testament that the Gentiles were to be included in God's plan for salvation. I'm going to show you some verses. They're only a handful of what we could really exhaust if we wanted to, right? It's very clear in the Old Testament that the Gentiles were to be included in God's plan for salvation. The how and the when weren't readily available, right? So let's look here at, at these privilege or these... Um, these indicators to us of what was known, that the Gentiles were to be included in the salvation of God's people. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is the uh, Abrahamic covenant. Right? This is a familiar passage to us. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you, those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, real time, you're hearing this as Abraham, you may not read this or hear this from God and say, oh, you're going to save the Gentiles, right? We can look back, though, and realize, oh, that's what was happening there. God was indicating to us that he's going to save the Gentiles. In fact, Paul does that for us in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, he takes what, Paul, or what God says in uh, Genesis chapter 12 and shows us what he truly meant by that. Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul says, hey, the gospel's present in the Old Testament for the Gentiles. It's present in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where God said Abraham and his descendants would be a blessing to all nations. So it's there, it's present. You can see it in Isaiah 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, it is too light a thing. This is, talk, this is like a, a, a prophecy about Jesus, the servant of Israel. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God the Father says, hey, we're not going to just send you to rescue the Jews. No, 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 that would be too light. That would be too little. You're going to get people from the ends of the earth is the purpose of me sending you, right? The gospel for the Gentiles is present in the Old Testament. You fast forward to Isaiah 56. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6 and 7. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Right? The, the indicator here in the Old Testament, verse after verse after verse, is that the Gentiles were always to be included. The how was not clearly revealed, right? Up to this point in the New Testament, the primary way of understanding how the Gentiles got in was for them to come in as Jews. The when was not clearly identified because as a Jew, I mean, even as us, we think back, how many Gentiles can you name in the Old Testament that become part of God's people? I mean, you have to start to think, you're like, all right, you got Rahab, you got Ruth, and you start to name some of these people, and, and then you're like, you're like, can I name any more? 
right? It was, it was small in, in retrospect to what we see in the New Testament. Small in retrospect to what we see in the New Testament. So the when is not readily available to the people in the Old Testament. The Gentiles were being included, but didn't seem to be a priority, practically speaking, right? You might have heard that God's going to save the nations, but if you were regularly attending temple worship and, and, and practicing Judaism, you'd have said, well, we, we've heard that, but I mean, when are they coming? Like, I know, I know this one guy, or my granddad knew this one guy that was a Gentile that came in here, right? Like it wasn't something that was just readily part of their active life, seeing Gentiles come to faith and follow Yahweh. So the, the how and the when were kind of masked in the Old Testament, even though we have plenty of verses that point us to the fact that, hey, the Gentiles are going to be included, all right? Number two, the mystery of the Gentiles is further revealed in the New Testament. The how and the when are communicated for us in the New Testament, Okay. It's further revealed. The how. Well, the Jewish theocracy that we're so used to in the Old Testament moves towards this all-inclusive church community in the New Testament. Right? Think about all the things that you think of when you think Jewish Israelite people. You think sacrifices. You think temple worship. You think king. You think nation. Well, it's different in the New Testament, right? New Testament, you've got people from all nations that make up the church, not just one isolated nation, nor do you tell people you got to move to this nation to be a Christian, right? And our limited perspective fails to realize that probably even in America, the bulk of Christians on this earth don't reside here, right? Other nations, right? So we don't, we don't serve God and experience God as a people like they did in the Old Testament, the theocracy where God was ruling and reigning over a nation specifically. It's moved towards an all-inclusive church community where people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are being included. The when has changed and been revealed differently to us now too. Gentile inclusion would be in mass versus this Old, Te- Old Testament trickle that we were seeing. I mean, they're coming in droves in the New Testament. They're coming in droves in the book of Acts, right? This was uncommon at that time. Yes, they were told the Gentiles were coming, and now they are coming. They are showing up to be part of God's people. The big reveal, this this shock is that, hey, you don't have to be Jewish to be part of God's people. You don't even have to act Jewish to be part of God's people. That stuff's being terminated and replaced by this new international community where there's no distinction between the two. There's no advantage to being a Jew or a, or a disadvantage to being a Gentile. All the same. The Gentiles aren't coming as a small minority anymore. They're being added in mass. They're becoming fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers in the promises. Now, when we went through the book of Revelation, particularly Revelation chapter 20, we talked about this binding of Satan. So I want to, I want to read this for you here. Because we referenced some of these passages when we were going through Revelation. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. We went to great lengths to show you that in Revelation 20, the key point there is that Satan is bound in such a way at some point in history where the nations are no longer deceived like they previously were deceived. I told you at that time, you can believe that this happens in the future, right? You can embrace a a type of eschatology that would say, hey, this hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen later. Or you can say, hey, I think this is happening right now. 
Revelation 20. What we all have to agree on is that something like this is happening right now because Jesus testifies to this when he shows up on the scene. Look what it says in Luke. uh, Well, let's just read a couple of these passages. Luke chapter 2, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. People who have been in darkness, their eyes have been opened out of salvation, particularly the Gentiles are about to start coming in salvation. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse um, 14. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is, uh, John the Baptist has been arrested. Jesus withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what the prophet Isaiah could be fulfilled. Look what it says in verse 15. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He talks about in Matthew chapter 12, somebody who breaks into somebody's house to take their stuff starts by binding the owner of that house. Right? So think about it. I mean, anytime you've seen a movie or seen a story where somebody breaks into somebody's house, you identify where the owner is and you take care of the owner so that you can then take all the stuff. Nobody goes into a house and says, hey, what's up, owner? I'm just here to take your TV. You just sit there and watch. Right? Like there's some type of binding of the owner so that you can then take the stuff. And he talks about, hey, I am binding Satan. I am binding Satan so that I can rescue people to my glory, to my salvation. Right? And we're seeing that in the New Testament. We're seeing Gentiles coming in the droves to be saved. So even if you feel like Revelation 20 happens in the future, and absolutely, I could be personally wrong about that. What I think we all have to agree on is that there was a change in how redemption was being carried out when Jesus showed up in regards to the Gentiles, that it goes from an Old Testament trickle to a New Testament mass where the nations are being deceived differently, even if they're still being deceived, it's now different to where people in every tribe, nation, and tongue are coming to Christ, right? This was something that wasn't common in the Old Testament that's now far more common today. Man, Jesus is rescuing people. Light is being shined into darkness. Gentiles are coming to faith. It's a mystery that was unknown in some ways that's now being further revealed in the New Testament. Their fellow heirs, all promised to Israel is now coming to the church. Galatians 3.29 alludes to this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4, verse 7. You are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. We're fellow heirs with the Jews. We receive the promises made to Israel. We're now fellow members of the body. The identity of being God's chosen people now belongs to the church, to Jews and to Gentiles. God's covenant with Israel to be their God and for them to be his people now extends to all who are in Christ Jesus. We're also fellow partakers in the promises. Their Messiah is now our Messiah. The implication, we must remember that while all of God's plans have not been fully revealed, his plans are unfolding, not developing. And hear that from me this morning. His plans are unfolding, not developing. And there's a big difference. We don't have a God who reacts to things. We have a God who sets the course for things. 
He doesn't always tell us about it. And sometimes when he does tell us, he veils it. I mean, there's prophecies about the future that we disagree upon because why? They aren't fully revealed to us. He doesn't tell us who the Antichrist is or when the Antichrist is really showing up and if the Antichrist is coming in bodily form. He doesn't tell us some of those things, but he gives us enough indicators to know not only has he been planning things up to this point, he's still got a lot of plans in place for the future. And I can trust that those are gonna unfold exactly how he wants them to and he's not gonna develop them later. The Gentiles aren't an afterthought. They're not a secondary plan. They're not something that he threw in at the last minute. This has always been part of the plan. Partly revealed in the Old Testament, more fully revealed in the New Testament. And lastly, number three, and we'll go quick. Be committed to reading about God's plans. Be committed to reading about God's plans. Look what he says that's been different in Ephesians 3 again. He's talking about being a prisoner. He's talking about how this mystery has been further revealed now through direct revelation coming to him. He's a steward of it. He's making it known. But look at this key piece that he adds in here. He says, how the mystery, verse three, was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Intertwined in what he's saying here is a piece of responsibility for us as the reader, that we're to be a reader, that we're to read what Paul has written. Direct revelation comes to him. He then turns around and writes it down for us. And now there's a burden of responsibility on us to read the Bible. God reveals his plans through special revelation to specific individuals. The Bible's authoritative in how we receive it. The Holy Spirit moves in human beings to write the very words of God. Paul's job, as we've seen here, is to communicate the revelation that had been shared with him. But then, number two, God illuminates his plans through the reading of the Bible by any believer. It's not just for the apostles or prophets or pastors to read and explain God's word. We as individual Christians can have our hearts and minds illuminated by his plans as we read about them in the Bible. It's the prayer of chapter one, right? That your hearts would be enlightened, that you would see the depth of the things that he's talking about. Our job is to read, study, and grasp revelation that's been provided to us right? This, this transforms how we read the Bible and why we read it, right? It's not to earn salvation. It's not to make God happy, right? It's not to make your small group or your D group happy that you show up and say, hey, I did read this chapter this month, right? We don't read the Bible to impress people or to make somebody happy. We read the Bible to grow in our knowledge of God, to grow in our understanding of his plans so that those, that knowledge sustains us during the week so that we can find ourselves in prison and say, I'm a prisoner of Jesus, not a prisoner of Rome, right? Things can be taken from us during the week, and we can say, all glory to God, because his kindness is still here, even though I don't directly feel it right now, right? He illuminates his plans through the reading of the Bible. It's one of the sustaining tools that God gives us to keep us grounded and faithful. Look what 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's a sustaining tool given to us. God gives us his plans and tells us to read about them, 
to learn about him, to sustain us. The implication here is that we must resolve to read the Bible for our own insight and then to turn around and share it faithfully to help others grow too. That's the other piece of why we read and study, not just for ourselves, but so that we can turn around and share it with others too. The parallel passage in Colossians, remember Colossians and Ephesians are really similar. Colossians chapter one, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, I don't want to just be the one that's mature at the end of this whole thing. I want you to be mature at the end of this whole thing too. So we read, we study, we comprehend, we gain insight and perception to God's plans to sustain ourselves, but then also to encourage others. We ought to make known to others what has been made known to us. Let me close with reading this verse from Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is the goal of Paul's communication, to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together, to incite the Jewish Christians at that time, to include the the Gentiles, to go after the Gentiles, right? He's even in prison for this message, but it was so important to him. He was willing to go to prison. He was willing to die for your sake that this message would go forth. It was a message given to him by God divinely. It was a message that was there in the Old Testament, but not fully understood. Now fully understood in the New Testament, right? that the Gentiles are coming and we are part of that group and we are welcomed with open arms as fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow partakers in all of the things of God. Our identity truths to remember, number one, every Christian has access to deepen their perception of God's plan by reading the Bible delivered by special revelation to the prophets. And all of us in here walk out of here today with a Bible in hand with the plans of God in hand, all of them that he wants us to be aware of to the fullest extent that he wants us to be aware of them right now, we walk out with a copy of that. We have access to deepen our perception of God's plan because here's the thing, we don't need more because we don't fully understand this yet. The stuff that's available to us, we haven't mined out enough yet. We leave today with the ability to deepen our perception of God's plan by simply reading and studying this week words that were given by special revelation to the prophets. Number two, Every Christian is a fellow heir, fellow member, and fellow partaker in the plans and promises for God's people, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. We can praise God for that today. Our application as we leave, number one, make plans to read the Bible this week and this summer with a specific desire to deepen your understanding of God's plan. And we don't have D groups or C groups until the fall, right? So there's not a built-in, hey, be reading this chapter this month, right? you have the opportunity to develop a plan. And if you need help, man, you reach out to me and I'll give you some direction. 
but make plans to read the Bible this week, this summer, with a specific desire to deepen your understanding of God's plan. I admitted to you at the beginning of the, the sermon, there are times when I just read it and put it back down, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what that's talking about. I don't even know why that's important. So even a pastor can read it initially and get zero from it and be like, I don't know if I need to preach the whole chapter just to find something this week that's worth conveying to the people. But then you pause and you say, there's got to be something here in these six verses that's worth talking about today, right? And you, you give time to it and you meditate upon it and you keep pondering it and you press into it and you pray for it. And God illuminates your mind as he promised to do with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Man, make plans to read the Bible this week and this summer and you will deepen your understanding of God's plan. Number two, look for ways to use this week as a means of revealing the truths of God's word we have been learning together. Man, shocker for me this week. I had somebody come to me. Um, this part's not a shocker. I hurt people's feelings all the time. The shocker was is that somebody came to me this week and said I'd hurt their feelings and I'd frustrated them and they began to confess that. And I was able to revert back to what I had recently taught you. This is how I try to handle conflict. When somebody comes to me, I'm looking for the ways that I'm responsible. I'm gonna embrace those things. I'm gonna share those things and apologize for those things, right? We have that conversation. We have that discussion. This person leaves, emails me later and says, hey, I really appreciate how you handled that. I listened to your sermon a couple of weeks ago, right? And I'm thankful that you lived it out exactly like you say you try to in the ways that I came to you. And I was like, whew, glad I was having a good day that day because I don't always do that right? But man, there are ways this week that you can look to reveal the truths of God's word that you're learning in your interaction with other people. Man, look for those ways this week and convey those truths to others. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you that you are a God who plans and unfolds those plans rather than developing them later. You have had these plans in place for all time. And even though we don't fully understand how the rest of this whole thing plays out, we can talk about it, discuss it, and debate it. We don't, we don't know. But God, we are thankful that you do and that you're going to unfold them as you desire. And you're going to make it more known practically, daily, as you desire. But what we do have is a clear indicator in Scripture that you have planned. And we can be comforted by that today. God, help us to realize that we are prisoners of you, not anything on this earth. The circumstances that we're dealt this week are, are by design by you. And we can find hope in that. God, help us to see opportunities to share the gospel when our circumstances are less than desirable. The people that we encounter in those bad circumstances are people that need you. God, help us to be faithful to read the Bible this week. Help us to see it with new eyes, with new intent, with new desires that you want to help us understand your plans, and you've promised to do so. If we'll simply read it, you will give us the perception because the Holy Spirit's there for that purpose. We praise you and thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.